I, like Matt, I too want to thank you all for your prayers for me and my family as we mourn the death of my father recently in, uh, up in Kansas City area. I'm, I'm from Liberty. I spent the first 18 years of my life there and uh, moved here in 81. So I call this home. But uh, anyway, we, we appreciate that. And uh, I do want to say that I am not trying to to lead everyone into a new fad of eyewear. Okay, um, these are my glasses from that I wear at work. I'm a machinist, and uh, this is to make sure that no, nothing hits my eyes and whatnot. Sometimes it works. I would not recommend running over your glasses with your car on gravel. It doesn't work well. So I took this little pile of glasses into my optometrist and said, I need an adjustment. <laughs> to which he said, you need more than an adjustment. So, which is usually the case with us in, in more than one respect. So, <laughs> uh, so we're going to turn to the book of 1 John. Uh, the last time I preached here, I preached from this book and I'm still in it. So we're going to look at it again. We're just going to look at a couple of verses in verse 1 John chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 3. You know, in a day and age where people are confused as to who they are, it's critical to not only know who we are, but where we stand with God. And the Apostle John uh, in writing his letter here in 1 John seems to be addressing the very issue of how can I know that I'm a Christian? How can I know that Christ is, that, that I'm going to heaven, that, that, that Christ is in my heart? Uh, how can I know this? Uh, he seems to foresee this question and, uh, you know, how can I be assured that I have an abiding interest and not just a fleeting interest, you know, in, in Him, in Christ? And His answer in this passage is twofold. First, by obeying Christ's commands, we know. And secondly, by walking as He walked. Now, these verses in chapter 2 are a repeat of the verse, some verses in chapter 1. I'd, I'd like to read them both back to back. So in chapter 1, uh, verse 5, the Apostle says, This is the message we have heard from Him, speaking of Jesus Christ, and announced to you that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. And if we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in darkness... We lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His Word 
is not in us. Now we go over to chapter 2, just a couple of verses later, and I'm sure you all can appreciate the idea that that the Bible was not originally written in chapters and verses. That was done many hundreds of years later to help us find things easier. But this was just a, just a couple of sentences later. He, he, he goes on in verse 3 of chapter 2, By this we know that we have come to know Him, if we keep His commandments. The one who says, I have come to know Him, and does not keep His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps His word, in Him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in Him. The one who says he abides in Him ought himself also, ought himself to walk in the same manner as He walked. So, after giving a general statement of the test in verse 3, which when he says, if we keep His commandments, just a general statement, then he applies a test. A test of how can you know if you're in Christ or not. And this is the test of obedience. In verse 4, he gives the positive result, and then in verse 5, he gives the negative result, and then in verse 6, he makes a summary statement of the whole thing. So he just kind of capitalizes the whole topic in these four verses really nicely. Before we do that, as we're talking here about those who, who claim, make a claim of a of, uh, relationship with Christ, but they walk differently than that, I couldn't help but go back to Matthew chapter 23. If you would turn to Matthew 23, I'd like to read the first 12 verses. These are very powerful words. In uh, because this is a this is this is a word picture, an example of exactly what John is talking about here in Matthew 23, beginning in verse one. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to His disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe, but do not according to their deeds. For they say things and do not do them. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men. For they broaden their phylacteries and lighten the tassels of their garments, lengthen, excuse me, the tassels of their garments. They love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men. But do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Do not be called leaders, for, for one is your leader, that is Christ. But the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. We could spend a lot of time on those verses as well, but let me just say, 
the teachers, the Pharisees, they have their place. But Jesus is telling them to beware of following their example. And to illustrate this, Jesus says that they bind together like sheaves, heavy, back-breaking loads. And I believe He's speaking of the, the laws and the rules that they laid on men. And these, these were, these were uh, you know, rules like not rubbing two ears of corn together on the Sabbath because that would be, uh, you know, considered threshing and that would be work. The picture here is that of a camel driver who packs a heavy and cumbersome burden on, the, on that animal and this person stands off to the side with no intention of even lifting a finger to help or even to steady the load. This is what Jesus is saying that they, that they do. The phylacteries He spoke of are little boxes attached to the forehead and the left arm, which is near the heart, containing pieces of parchment with text of Scripture in them. So this is an outward visible sign of obedience and the size of the phylacteries uh, indexed how much zeal they had to obey God. Large ones would actually take the place of obedience, and that would be their that would be their obedience. And this is what Jesus is talking about, and what a picture uh, that of what John is speaking of here in in John chapter one about those who say one thing and do another. So he has this test of obedience. In verse 3 of John chapter 2, where he says, By this we know that we have come to know Him, if we keep His commandments. Instead of using the term fellowship to describe the believer's relationship to God, like he did in, in chapter 1, John speaks now of knowing Christ. These two concepts are parallel. To have fellowship with a person and to know them is the same and vice versa. To walk in the light, that's what he said in chapter 1, is also like in chapter 2 here, to keep his commandments in this verse 3. These were also parallel. So, verse 3 is speaking of a personal, experiential knowledge which was something that the the known the then known uh, group of people called the Gnostics. This was a group of people that had no idea of of how of what a real relationship with Christ is like. They actually believed it was unattainable. And in the first phrase, uh, the word "know" occurs twice because he says here that by this we know that we have come to know Him. The first verb is in the present tense, we know, and the second one in the perfect tense, we have come to know. Therefore, fellowship with God and knowing God are two sides of the same coin. One relationship, one's relationship with God can vary from casual acquaintance to intimate relationship, intimate fellowship. God is not interested in a casual, meaningless relationship. He desires that we come to know Him intimately. When I hear that, when I think of that, I always go, in my mind, I always go to Psalms 15. Psalms 15 is worth committing to memory. 
Psalms 15 opens up with two questions. Who can dwell in God's tent? Who can dwell on his holy hill? I was speaking to a bunch of Boy Scouts on a camp out years ago uh, in the Grand Teton. And uh, they wanted me to give a devotional and I was talking to them about Psalms 15. And I said, it's not enough. We had some big hills there. And so it's not enough to just live on God's hill. He wants us to move into the tent. He wants us to be intimate. He wants us to be close to Him. That's the kind of relationship that He wants. The use of the present tense for the verb keep in this verse reveals that John is not speaking of a temporary or spasmatic uh, obedience, but a habitual practice. The assurance that this saving relationship is real is not based on feelings or a mere profession that one is saved, but on the observable evidence of continuing obedience to His commandments. So in verse 3, we have uh, just a general statement. But in verse 4, He gives the negative results. It says, The one who says, I have come to know Him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. So we have the claim. Whoever says, I know him. And we have the test. He does not keep his commandments. And the results is a liar and the truth is not in him. The Ethiopic version renders it this way. The truth of God is not with him. But that was interesting. The person is a walking lie who says one thing and does another. This person uh, is uh, expressed in... I, I like what Paul said in Titus chapter 1 when he was writing to Titus. He explains it very clearly in chapter 1 verse 16. He says, They profess to know God, but, their but by their deeds they deny Him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. This verse explains how Paul and James are in total agreement on this topic of works and faith. If anybody gets into that whole idea of whether those two agree with each other, just go to Titus chapter 1, verse 6, and we'll see how Paul feels about it. In this verse also, we see clearly sketched out for us a life of deeds which contradicts the profession of the liars. Such persons are... He says, detestable. And this word literally means disgusting or abominable. As far as usefulness to anything good is concerned, they have been tested and found to be false or unfit or useless. The word literally means that they, was, they were disapproved of because of a test. <clears throat> the word liar describes the character of a man whose entire conduct is opposed to the truth. Like the one who refuses to admit that he is a sinner in verse chapter 1, verse 8. Uh, and that our, our brother Matt referred to earlier when, we was talk, when he was about to give us a prayer of confession. The truth is not in him. And so in verse 4, John makes it very clear that the one who does not keep his commandments, there is no truth in him. 
He, he lives as one without the truth. And then in verse 5, now he gives the positive, the positive uh, result of the test. Whoever keeps his word and then gives the result. In him truly the love of God is perfected. Here again, John uses the present tense for keeps, meaning that whoever continually and habitually keeps his word, this is the, one, the only way to pass this test. When John says that we may be sure that we are in him, it's synonymous with the expression in verse 3 above, we know that we have come to know him. So verse 3 and verse 6, or verse 5 here, are kind of like bookends. So by varying the terminology, the apostle explains more fully what he means when he says knowing Christ. John echoes the words Jesus spoke just after the Last Supper when he said, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. That is my word. Well, the Gnostics loved to gather knowledge at the expense, by the way, of obedience. John is probably confronting this very kind of error in these verses. I know he is in, in the entire book as a whole. In him truly the love of God is perfected, John says in this verse, verse 5. The idea here is that the redeeming love of God has attained its end in the man who obeys his word. The redeeming love of God has attained its end in the man who obeys his word. And by cultivating a love like this, we get to know that we know him. And that's what this is all about. This test is all about. So now in verse 6, he, uh, he gives a summary of the entire thing. Verse 6, he says, The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. The theme statement for the first two chapters of John could be this. The Christian life is a life of fellowship with God. You could summarize both the first two chapters of this book, of this letter, with that phrase. The Christian life is a life of fellowship with God. To be saved is to be in fellowship with Him. This concept of fellowship is expressed in verse 3 as knowing Christ. And again, in verse 5, as being in Him. And now in verse 6, he uses the idea of abiding in Christ, which is not a foreign concept to John. If you've read his first book, John chapter, in verse, uh, John 15. The term abide speaks of a continuing and intimate relationship as opposed to a temporary one, a superficial one. That is the meaning of the word when it is given in the present tense as it is in verse 6 and that only strengthens its meaning. The concept of abiding no doubt comes from John 15 where Jesus declares uh, that the fruit bearing branch is the one which uh, stands in continual and vital I might add relationship to the vine. So you get this branch that that is attached to the vine. It abides in the vine. It draws its nourishment from the vine. 
So what this verse is actually saying is the one who claims this kind of relationship is under an ever-present obligation to walk even as he walked. A fellowship with God is not a static condition, but an active relation that endures. We must say, as was said in, in the chapter uh, in the book of Acts, chapter 17, in Him we live and move and have our being. That's a that's a just a covering all of it. It's one of those statements that they make where we try to cover everything. He is our everything. So he says we ought to walk in the same way that, that he walked. This statement is parallel to the statement in, in chapter 1, verse 7, where he says, in the, uh, in the light as he is in the light. Just as the ideas of fellowship, knowing him, being in him, abiding in him are all parallel, so are the concepts of walking in the light, keeping his commandments, and walking as he walked. John's trying to make this as clear as he possibly can to these people and to us. We can only do this by setting our lives in harmony with his word. James Samus wrote this. It's one of my favorite hymns. When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on our way. While we do His good will, He abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. So in verse 6 says that we are to walk as He walked. It isn't speaking of Jesus' miraculous works of raising the dead, healing the sick, or walking on water but to copy after Him by making His obedience the rule of our life. Remember, John is speaking of the Christian life as a life of fellowship with God. Who better to follow on this note than the very Son of God? Where there is true knowledge of Christ, there is faith in Him. And where there is faith in Him, there is love to Him. For faith works by love. And where there is love to Him, there will be an observance of His commandments. So here we have made the, the evidence of the true knowledge of Christ. Do you know Him? Do you know that you know Him? Let's pray. Oh God, our Heavenly Father, I come before you this morning on behalf of any in earshot of my voice who does not know you or does not know that they know you. Do your work of redemption and draw them to you for a life of joyful obedience to you. Stir up the fire in all of us and fan the flame of obedience that we may bring glory to your name in a day and age where it is sorely needed. For it's in your son's precious name that we pray. Amen.